Welcome to another episode of Inside the Barn. I'm Sam Wobermeyer. Joining me today, the great Brooke Destra. Brooke is in Philadelphia, so we're going to talk a lot about the Flyers, what the expectations are for them this season. Got off to a good start, but also had some controversy, so we'll get into all of that. We're going to look at the outdoor game. We'll look at COVID. We're going to look at especially the East Division, but around the NHL, a bunch of different fun things to get to. We recorded this on Wednesday morning, February 3rd, so hopefully things aren't too dated, but here is Brooke Destra. Let's start with the Flyers, since that's who you know the best and where you're at. How good is this team? I think it's it's pretty interesting right now because obviously they're still winning games, and from a Flyers perspective, it's kind of funny because, you know, right now they're top of their division, but fans are still finding a way to complain. But that's that's the Philly way because you know the kind of potential that this team has. And they're really nowhere near the top of their game yet. And you can kind of see as the games start to progress that they're kind of picking things up. And this is great because they didn't have a preseason. They were a little back and forth and very slow after that opening series against the Penguins. So I think, you know, give it maybe another week or two and you're really going to have to start paying attention to them because I feel like they're still kind of sliding under the radar because there hasn't been that many kind of show-stopping moments from this team through the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think, I actually think we've seen that with lots of different teams and to some extent, I'll admit, I was a little surprised when I looked at the standings and I was like, because from afar, you hear kind of the controversies in Philadelphia more than you hear. It was like, oh, yeah, they're they're just as good as Washington and, you know, Boston mm-hmm. right now. And But I think just watching games in general, that seems to have been kind of the issue. And I think you've touched on it with no preseason is that the games have all been somewhat entertaining. But I'm not sure we've seen the best hockey yet. Is that, you know, from, from all different teams is that maybe go to show that these teams really did miss those exhibition games more than we may have given credit for? Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't fully on board with completely removing the preseason. I definitely don't think that they needed the standard amount of games that they've had the past few years, maybe one or two to kind of get back into the swing of things. I mean, luckily the Flyers did have that intra-squad scrimmage um, with basically everybody, uh, that had the chance to crack the roster. So you did get to see some bright moments. You could see that the guys were still trying to get their legs under them. But now as we kind of, you know, start moving into really the second month of hockey, um, it's going to be interesting to see what teams kind of pick up the pace and which ones kind of plateau. So that's what I'm really curious about going into February. What are... We know Philly fans, you mentioned them earlier. What are the expectations? Because I think this was a team that people saw building and maybe exceeded last year. I mean, they made the second round, which was kind of the third round in the bubble, and they won a couple playoff series. But so where is the fans' expectations at for this season? I mean, I feel like we have different levels of fans in Philly because you're going to have the ones that are going to be content if they were to make the Eastern Conference Finals this year. I think there are fans that are going to be like, you know, it's progress. You know, they made the second round for the first time since 2012. Last year, they advanced. Then you're going to have the fans that are going to be like, who cares? It's not a cup. 1975 all the way. And those 
you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's kind of a funny debate back and forth, but I also think it's great to keep in mind that, you know, the Flyers are winning games right now and they're not playing their best hockey. So I think that's what's intimidating and kind of keeping people on the fence. Like, is this false hope? Again, last season after the atrocious Western um, conference road trip that they do to, to end the year, which is, it's a terrible tradition. I'm so happy they didn't have to do it this year. Um, things really started to solidify with the Flyers play. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they're now winning games that they shouldn't be, or if it's, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's not, is it going to be false hope? Is this a team that would crack under pressure in the playoffs? Is it a team that's kind of going to fall flat, kind of dry out as the season progresses? I don't really think so. I think it's going to be the opposite. But it's, it's curious because their, their division is very interesting. And I know there's a bunch of different situations going on right now with COVID between the Devils and the Sabres and all the postponements. But um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And I mean, listen, I'm not going to be satisfied till I see a cup. That's that's kind of, I think, the general consensus with Flyers fans right now, since it has been so long. But um, I mean, as long as they're winning games and doing their job in the regular season, then, you know, it, it kind of seems like a fresh slate. No, or a fresh sheet of ice, you know, like uh, when the playoffs come around, because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> come the postseason so it's it's going to be an interesting team to follow for sure yeah I think this postseason is going to be different with the divisional play and perhaps in the east getting that one seed not playing Boston or Washington could be a big factor let me change the question up a little what do you think management more the front office I know the players and coaches want to win every year but where is their level of patience do that you think they think this is a cup year or are they looking more down the line I think well we're no the Flyers are no longer in a rebuilding phase because the prospects that we were so excited being drafted the past few years they're here now and you also have to kind of take a look at some of the vets the core veterans of this team Claude Giroux Jake Voracek James Van Riemsdyk you know they're older guys on this team and not saying that their timeline is kind of you know, shortening within the league, but you definitely know that the majority of their career is behind them. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, it's just in terms of years left with their um, time in the league. So I definitely think the front office is looking at it like there's a very short window of opportunity right now where you have some of these great, well-respected leaders in the locker room and some of these young and up and coming guys having this perfectly like blended mesh of opportunity. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's definitely, they, they know that they don't have a significant amount of time with this specific core. So I, I think they're in a win now mode. I really do. One of those up and coming guys is Carter Hart, who we've seen. Is he, how, how, where's his ceiling? And is he the goalie that today, this year can lead them to the Stanley cup? So it's, there's been a lot of back and forth with Hart to start off this season. Um, you know, you got to keep in mind, he's 
what he's 22 years old mm -hmm. <laughs> he's such a young kid within this league and to have such a strong head on his shoulder he's so um so leveled out in terms of how to handle situations um and i think that the flyers are going to benefit from that significantly for the years to come i mean i think this season in particular he's had a few hiccups in terms of how he plays the puck behind the net um you know his goals against average isn't necessarily what people had expected and now there's definitely that unfortunate conversation being held on social media where it's like oh brian elliott keeps coming in and saving the day so what does that mean no brian elliott is a grade a wonderful backup goaltender carter hart is the go he's the go-to guy he's the future of the franchise i wholeheartedly believe that and i think that you know give him a few more games to kind of get settled in this kind of layout and see what he's capable of doing because he still hasn't had a normal full-length season in the nhl so it's hard to kind of give some sort of full assessment on his game when he was called up halfway through his first year and then his second season was cut short due to COVID. And then his next season started in January. So it's, you know, it's, it's very back and forth, but it's, it's interesting to see how he's been developing so far for sure. And I think to keep in mind this year is different with more cond a condensed schedule, more back-to-backs, more every other night that, you're going to be playing probably both. If you have two goalies you're confident in, you're probably going to try to be playing them more. One's going to get, you know, a third of the starts for the backup goalie. And it's, you know, and that's just to kind of save the goalies. The other thing is for goalies, I think that has been hard because a lot of them for a long time, they couldn't even get shots. Or if you're a player, you can even just go out in your driveway and stick handle. You can find mm -hmm. some ways, get some, you know, ice rinks were kind of opening for one person, but a goalie to get all that extra work, I think that again, we kind of said it might take more time for them to develop this year to see what they are. With Hart, he sh showed more emotion in these frustrations at times. Has that been a good thing? We saw him with the stick against the goalposts and stuff. Is, is that a good thing for a young player? Does that concern you? Oh, it's. I definitely think it's a good thing. Uh, one of it cracked me up because following that game, he actually apologized to the media for getting frustrated with himself, but. You know, there's no reason for him to have needed to acknowledge that because as a player, as an athlete, you want to win. You know, you don't really want to settle for mediocrity. So seeing him get frustrated and knowing that he can do better is a thousand times better than him sitting back and being like, well, I did the best that I could. You know, he knows that there's another level he can get himself to. And knowing him, once he reaches that, he knows that there's another one that he can attain. So I think that that is really a great um, kind of assessment of who he is as a player and as an individual and what he can bring to this team every single night. Um, but yeah, get mad, get mad. It's a short season, every game counts. It's like you're playing for a playoff spot every single game. So you know, if he if he lost that team, if he lost his team a game, he's going to do everything that he can to go out the following night and make sure that none of that happens again. So I think that's great for the Flyers. I think it's great for him. Get mad. 
what about Travis Connecty? Where after the scratch? Well, first, I guess what what did you make of that strategy by Vigneault in general? I mean, he he kind of, from my reading of it, was it wasn't all on Travis. Travis was part of it, but he needed to send a message, and he chose to do it with Travis. What what do you so broadly? Where where do you view on that? I don't think it's something that needs to be too kind of picked apart the situation. I think it unfortunately, like you said, fell on Konechny. I mean, he really hasn't been, you know, that top player so far to kick off the season. But again, we're only a handful of games in, you know, it's, it's not, it, it's way too early to make full assessments. Like, okay, he's a bust. He had one great season out of his contract and that's it. No, he's 23. There's so much potential with him. I think he unfortunately had the short end of the stick in terms of getting that scratch. Um, but I think it also really played a part in terms of, you know, not, no one's safe. You know, you're fighting for your roster spot every single night. And a lot of players kind of maybe sink into a mindset like, okay, I'm set. Aside from those handful of rotating in the bottom six, it's, I do think that Konechny is one player in particular that has been affected by no fans. So, and even in the bubble, you can tell he was so frustrated, didn't score a goal. And, you know, obviously you see that first game against the Islanders, the first time the Flyers were meeting with them this season since the Islanders knocked them out in game seven. And Konechny didn't even get that chance to kind of redeem himself the first night, at least. Um, so I think it was just kind of a reality check, you know, kind of get your head on straight um, and see like what you need to improve on. And, you know, like it said, it, it sent the message that nobody is safe. Everyone's fighting for that spot every single night to play. And I mean, message received. <laughs> uh, more broadly, what have you made of Elaine Vigneault as a head coach. The, my, my limited interactions with him at a couple of press conferences and stuff is, you know, he, he can give you a quote machine. He seems to have fun, which I, I enjoy versus some coaches who are a little more serious. But, you know, I think we've also seen, we've seen him do things like that. We kind of saw in the bubble, he got in a little controversy for kind of sticking his head in the sand a little, but and not knowing what was going on outside the world or pretended mm -hmm. to at least. Um, so, so what do you think of him as kind of a, a coach and is he the right guy for this team he's definitely the right guy for the flyers right now um my favorite thing is that and basically what i've gathered from the i guess year and a half that i've kind of been around Vigneault, uh as media is that he he really is a person that eats sleeps and breathes hockey and you know, you're around athletes who do that, where it's like, it's constantly running in their head, but to really have a head coach, the only thing he's thinking about is as soon as the game is done, it's evaluating everything that happened and looking forward. It's never, there's never a dull time. There's never a lull. It's okay, next step, what's next? How do we go forward? How can we change? How can we get better? And I think that's kind of the, the kind of leadership that the Flyers needed since he was hired and there was a lot of it was interesting to see a lot of rangers fans commenting on the move saying oh you know good luck with av good luck with av and everyone's sitting here in philly like thanks we <laughs> we love him and he's a guy that he's able to be lighthearted and bring 
a great energy into the locker room to the press um to the presser but he's also somebody who demands respect and I think that that's a great balance for not only this team but the city and because of him we've really set the bar pretty high with expectations so and he was snubbed for the Jack Adams and I will talk about that any day of the week um he deserved coach of the year last year hands down with everything that he had to deal with so you know hats off hats off to av because he's really he's really turned this team into into a threat and he even knows he's like listen we're winning games but there's still more to do and that's the best kind of mentality that you can have right now yeah i I agree that i think last year you know i think he kind of got more credit than he had maybe in the past, but he still probably didn't get the credit he, he should have. And it was, you know, I think some of that may have been in Vancouver. He got, was successful in New York, maybe wasn't as successful, but, and I think people were just surprised by the flyers. Do, do the players like playing for him? I think so. I mean, it sounds kind of terrible when you kind of look back to the Dave Haxtell era right beforehand and never sitting here and saying that players kind of checked out, but I feel like AV keeps it known that I want to hold these guys accountable. You know, um, I mean, you hear the guys say nothing but great things. So I think that that's everything that you really want to hear and expect from your team is that they love playing for their coach. So. Uh, Flyers later this month will play in Lake Tahoe. Um, what do you general picture? What, what do you make of an outdoor game at Lake Tahoe? In- <laughs> so we actually talked about this on the Flyers Talk podcast on NBC. Um, I think that this was a great opportunity, but the wrong year to do it. I mean, listen, I think the sights, I think the sounds, I think it's probably one of the most aesthetically pleasing games we're ever going to watch, but you're going to send these players out West. Again, the, the league finds a way to send the flyers out West, even when we're in a global pandemic, naturally. <laughs> but I mean, you're sending these guys out West, you're, we're still going through COVID protocol. So you're sending them there, you're keeping them in a hotel, you're gonna let them practice, you're gonna let them play the game and then you're gonna fly them back. You know, they don't really get the full experience of having that kind of fun, thrilling outdoor game. And then the fans don't really get the experience because it's like, okay, 95% of why they do the outdoor games is so fans can experience hockey in its best element, which is outside. So, I mean, I am jealous. get to go and be outside and and do all of that but yeah it's just not it wasn't the right year to do it by any means because I think if they waited it out for fans to come back that would have been a huge marketing thing that the NHL could have done and it's kind of a missed opportunity I mean I'll still watch I'll still be excited I'll still watch the game but you know you're not going to really get that kind of excitement that it would have been like oh when they were playing in Prague last year when they played outside in Lincoln Financial Field you know it's the energy that the fans bring to outdoor games 
that make the outdoor games. Yeah, I, I do. I kind of agree with you where I've thought for a while, like try, try something outside of the football stadiums. I know they like to get the most number of fans possible and that's big, but you know, you could put the stands on one side and have the backdrop on the other side. And, you know, I, I've thought, you know, like I live down in Washington DC and like, I'm like you could play it on the national mall. Think of those visuals or something, or, you know, Philadelphia, I'd love to see one like in front of independence hall or something something where you could have those visuals so that's my kind of hope is that maybe this will if they had to do it during a pandemic but it will open up more opportunities for when the fans come back um i want to talk about the rest of the east a little bit we kind of touched on it do, do you think right now it really is philly washington boston are kind of the top three and then the rest are fighting for that last spot yes um I think it's really interesting right now how the bottom of the standings look um, because going into the season, I really thought that it was just going to be New Jersey at the bottom, but they've, they've impressed to some extent to kick off the season, which is great. Um, but I mean, I really, I've said it since the start of the season that I really thought that Washington, Boston, and Philadelphia were going to be the locks in the East. And then that fourth one was really going to be a fighting chance. I said, it might be a hot take, whatever, that this is the year that the Penguins are going to miss the playoffs. It is. And I mean, technically they didn't make him last year, but because of that play-in round, you know, it's it's kind of a gray area. So they technically weren't in the playoffs last year either, but this is the first year where I think that there's a huge shift in the East and in power of the division. And for a while it's really been, and I know that the, the realignment, and obviously you throw the president's trophy team into the East. So it's another, you know, wrench in the flyers, you know, climb to the top. But I really think that Washington, and while they're still great, they're going to be great until Ovechkin retires. And that doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. But the Flyers have really been kind of growing. And it's this that shift that I was mentioning, where the Penguins are going to start to decline and the Flyers are really going to take charge of the top. And if it's back and forth, and you also have to keep an eye on the up and coming Rangers while this is probably definitely not a season for them they have a lot of young guys that are incredibly talented so they're gonna have to keep an eye on them in the upcoming years same thing with the devils the islanders it's it's a really talented division and i don't think the first few weeks of the season have really done this division justice of how talented they are but it's also benefited the flyers significantly but yeah, top three, Philly, Washington, Boston, Penguins not making the postseason. I think it's going to be the Islanders that lock up that fourth spot. That's kind of my next question. The, the two, I think, outside, I saw a lot of predictions that the Rangers and the Islanders were kind of going to be the two hot teams this year. Both, I, at least as of last night, I think we're both in the two bottom seeds in the East. Of those two, you think it's the Islanders who could kind of turn things around? For sure. I mean, not much has changed with that team since they were knocked out of the Eastern Conference Finals last year, you know, and that was only how four months removed, 
from where we are now, four or five months. So it's almost like you're expected to see that from the Islanders this year is that you can't really go from being a handful of games away from the cup finals to not even making the playoffs the following year. I mean, obviously there are different situations in other years, but not much has changed for the Isles to fall off that quickly. We saw New Jersey's basically been canceled in games because of COVID. I think the only division now really not touched is the Canadian division, which might say something about safety in two different countries. (laughs) Um, Maybe they were smart to close that border. Um, How how concerned are you about all this right now? Um, Not... It's not something to throw red flags up yet. Um, It's really how the league handles this moving forward that is going to kind of depict how concerning this is going to be. I mean, obviously this is going to change up the scheduling a little bit, um, but it's, it's difficult because you're telling players, you know, you can't see your friends you can't see your families and it's understandable you have a job to do and it's the same thing with the bubble but you know it's it's a difficult situation nobody is exempt from covid obviously no one has superpowers they can't deny it um i understand the sabers frustration and how they had to play and now they're dealing with obviously issues with covid protocols as well Um, but my consensus that I'm getting from Buffalo is that they're annoyed with the devils. And I think their frustration needs to be taken out more with the league and how they handle it moving forward. I think that since it's not directly affecting the flyers right now, I'm not entirely in tune with the entire situation. Obviously I can probably say that if the tables were flipped, if the flyers were affected by this, I'd be livid. So I understand um it's just it's really how the league is going to handle this because i know that early on the sixers in the nba and how they decided how they play these games and then they canceled things with the celtics and you know that whole situation it raises a lot of flags like okay well what is standard to cancel or postpone games compared to what can we allow so it's I'm interested to see where the NHL puts their foot down finally and says, okay, this is what we need to do. They had a great plan in place as well. You know, the NHL is really great in terms of preparation for all of this, but moving forward, like I said, there's just that level of concern of if it for, you know, God forbid things do get worse or the numbers keep increasing, what are they going to do to stabilize it before moving forward? Yeah, and I think one thing I, I thought Bettman has said that's been good is that, you know, we're not making decisions. We're going to you know, do things kind of case by case, give us time to work things out, which I think you need that flexibility. But I also think you're seeing frustrations. I know there was frustrations within the Capitals that, well, we had four players out and we're playing games. Now, to some extent, I think they got some points and down the road that's going to benefit you not having those condensed but there doesn't seem to be, and no one seemed to know, well, how many players is canceling the game? 
in, in their case, I think it was because there was only one positive versus contact tracing and because they kind of were getting in trouble for doing it on their own. The NHL may have not exactly been, you know, bending over backwards to help them. So, yeah, I think that's where we could see some frustration. I'll get you out of here on this little fun one. Um, we have a president and vice or president and first lady who are Flyers fans. Um, yes. How, how, ex what is that like? And how many games will they get to it as president? Will he get to attend? You think he'll go to games? That's an interesting question because obviously, you know, him and his family have been to games in the past. Um, I, first of all, I love it. The Philly fans are literally in the white house right now. <laughs> so I can understand why people around the country are concerned because you know how dedicated we are. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously in terms of COVID and protection and everything right now, it probably is the furthest thing on the bottom of the docket of things for, you know, him to even think about, but I'm listen, Chicago won three cups when Obama was in office and you know he's a Chicago man so I'm just saying the Flyers come on bring it bring it to Washington <laughs> so that, that's where I'm at you know I'm not setting the bar really high I don't need three cups I would like three cups but one's fine <laughs> I think you got to get him elected to a second term to get three, but yeah, I think one at one in his first term might be, uh, and I don't think there'd be any controversy over them going to the White House. He might go to the Stanley Cup final game. It might be the other way around. He'll be celebrating, <laughs> or or at least uh, Jill will, because I think she's even. I think he's said a bigger fan than he is. So yeah, that, I that, love it. That'll, that'll be fun. Well, thanks so much, Brooke. I really appreciate your time. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope we can do this again one day. Thanks again to Brooke for her time. It was great to catch up with her and get some of her insights. You can follow her on Twitter at the Brooke Destra. You can follow me on Twitter at Sam Ober. Until next time. Thanks for listening.